My message today is entitled, The Conversation. Jesus gave a lot of powerful teaching lessons to crowds of people, thousands at a time often. Yet he also had noted intimate conversations with individuals. Sometimes we forget about this very important detail. Does it really matter if it was a message to a bunch of people or to an individual? Well, I believe it does. Because I believe it gives context. Many of us know the danger of taking things out of context. And so we need to understand the context in which it was given before it can be applied elsewhere. But first, before I give you this context and explain what I'm talking about, I want to give you a little lesson in language. Most of you know that I am a teacher. Most of you know that, uh, maybe some of you know, that my wife and I started an educational company uh, this past spring. We've been doing the work um, with schools for many, many years, but we started our own company this past spring in our spare time. Um, and we've been training teachers in schools and districts and university uh, um, professors um, in how to teach reading. And so we know a lot about language, um, so I want to share a couple of things about language. And so when we're talking about two people talking to one another, we call it a conversation. Okay? To break down this word, I have a prefix con, which means together. And I have verse, which is the Latin root, and it means to turn. Okay? Then Asian just makes it a noun. So it's the act of two people turning together to converse with one another, to come together in a conversation, which means that if they're turning towards one another, they're coming together, they're both actively listening. How do you actively listen? You listen with your eyes. You listen with your, with your presence of being in the moment instead of looking off the thing or thinking about what you got to do later in the day. Husbands and wives get in a lot of fight because when one's trying to talk and the other one's trying to watch the sports game or think about what they got to do, that's not a full conversation. The message of the meaning of conversation is two people turn together to actively listen and actively discuss a topic of interest to both people. That's a true conversation. Well, with this understanding, I want to turn to one of the most famous conversations in history. It's in John chapter 3. Many times we take out one verse and talk about that, but I'm going to talk about the whole context of this conversation. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 1, says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus came to Jesus. He was not externally pressured. He wasn't dragged along. He was internally compelled. Something inside of him said, I got to know more. I need to know for myself. He wanted to hear from Jesus for himself. He made a conscious choice to make it personal with Jesus. When you come to church on Sunday and hear about the teachings of Jesus, that's a great start. But it cannot end there. 
There has to be something in you that says, I want to make it personal. I want a personal relationship with Jesus. It's great to hear about him, to understand him, but I want to make it personal. It's a choice that you, each of you, needs to make. There must be something in each of you individually that feels compelled to know Jesus personally, to study his word, to seek to hear from him and to know him personally. And if you don't know how to hear him speak to you or how to advance in your knowledge of him, then you need to choose for yourself to join a Bible study with brothers and sisters in Christ that can help you learn to hear from God, where you can ask questions and grow. Nicodemus sought to know Jesus personally, and he came with a bunch of questions. He saw Jesus as a rabbi, a teacher with greater authority. He recognized the authority of God. If you don't see the authority of God over every area of your life, then your relationship with him is lacking. Like Nicodemus, we each must come to him expecting to be taught, expecting to be challenged, and expecting to know him more. One of the biggest downfalls to growing in your faith is when people study the Bible or a familiar passage like John 3.16 that they've heard many times before and they write it off because they tell themselves they already know this. I want something new. It happens all the time. Whether you say it or whether it happens to your mind, I already know this. I want something deeper. The Bible has been around for thousands of years. And it is still alive. It still speaks life and new things to all of us if we expect it to. God is able to speak a fresh word to you if you expect to hear from him. Did anybody come today expecting to hear from God? I hope so. Because we limit ourselves far more than what's given to us. If we expect God to speak, He will speak to us. He is able to deepen your revelation of Him and expand your understanding if you're open to Him. Keep seeking Him and keep expecting to glean something from God every single time if you really want to know Him more. John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Like Nicodemus, there are times when God speaks to us things that we don't understand. What a curious statement this is, that we need to be born again in order to see the things of God all around us. When we don't understand, we need to press in and ask him to tell us more. Verse 4. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? One of the most common obstacles for students is the fear of asking a dumb question. Anybody been in that boat before? A lot of people are. I don't want to ask it. What if they judge me? What if they laugh at me? What if they think it's a dumb question? I'm just going to stay silent. But if one gets to the place 
where knowing the answer is more important than any fear of what others may think, then they put themselves in a place to learn and to grow and to benefit. The sad thing is that many adults often act like students who are afraid to ask questions for fear of being judged or mocked. That's why many adults don't attend Bible studies. Oh, I'm a new Christian and I don't want to appear, I don't want to answer the question I'm, I should know by now. And so, or I've been a Christian a long time and I don't know those things, so I'm not going to say anything. I don't want people to judge me. If there's a fear that you face, understand that this fear is not from God, it's from the enemy. God wants you to ask questions. I want you to ask questions. If you come to any of our Bible studies, I encourage you to ask questions because God has the answer. There are no questions that are too basic or too simple. There are no dumb questions. Whatever it is that you don't know or that you don't fully understand about God, He invites, in fact, He implores you to press in and ask Him more. John 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born of water or through water, signifying baptism, which is your public acknowledgement of identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And upon being baptized, you willingly choose to be obedient to the Holy Spirit in your life, beginning with His prompting to know Him more by making an individual and personal effort to seek Him on your own. It's not just about coming to a church. It's about having a relationship every single day with Jesus. But that's a choice you need to make. John 3, verse 6. Jesus continues, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. We are all born of the flesh and are guided by our thoughts and our desires and our feelings. How many of you besides me sometimes are guided in the wrong way because of our thoughts and our desires and our feelings? Right? That means we're born of the flesh. We can't expect to be always be go to God because our flesh wants to feed itself and to comfort itself. But to those who are willing to make it personal and are willing to be born of the Spirit, even if we don't understand that yet, we open ourselves up to being guided by God and by His desires and His truth without shame, without condemnation. John 3, verse 7, Jesus says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. It's an absolute must to be born again. Without this rebirth, we stay stuck in our ignorance of what we don't know. We stay stuck in our confusion and in our bondage and in our pain. Verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Huh, well that makes it plain, doesn't it? Does this make more sense to you or less sense to you about what being born of the Spirit is? Do you understand what being born of the Spirit really means? It's a complex thing because it's not of this world. 
we're not going to understand it in a natural sense, but by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. It's a heavenly concept that's been brought to earth and given to those who desire to know Him more. If you know this about the Gospels, Jesus said, I speak in parables because people don't understand. But the people that want to understand, God reveals the truth to them. The people that are just think that just they're going to hear a good story, guess what? They hear a good story. You see, there's a lot of religions that, that believe Jesus was real. They believe He was a great storyteller. But the Spirit enlightens our understanding to know that it means more. Before you get into the intricacies of being born of the Spirit, you must first know that much like the wind, the full knowledge of the Holy Spirit cannot be fully grasped with our senses alone. In other words, the Spirit of God moves when and where He sees fit. The Spirit has purpose and changes His direction when He sees fit. The Spirit directs the affairs of the children of God in this world to bring about God's perfect will and to advance His kingdom. Sometimes we're going to understand what God is doing. And sometimes we're going to have no idea what He's doing, but we choose to trust Him because we believe He is perfect and His will is perfect. So understand that we don't always understand why the Spirit of God moves in certain ways. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this happening? Well, I don't understand, God. But then we must trust that God knows exactly what He was doing. Think of the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world. Jesus died. People have been following Him. He's building momentum. There's a big following all over and crowds and people are changing. And then... The authorities arrest him and beat him and he dies. Worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. From our perspective. From God's perspective, he had to give a sacrifice and pay for our sins to open up heaven to us. Our perspective, worst thing that ever happened. God's perspective, the best thing that ever happened. We need to understand we're not going to understand it all, but we need to trust that God does. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult it is, or how great a challenge, or how unfair it seems, trust that God has a plan. And His will is perfect if we trust Him. Amen? John 3, verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to Jesus, How can these things be? It doesn't make sense. It does not compute. Just like with Nicodemus, we need to ask God to explain to us the things we don't understand. We have to choose to make it personal and turn to Jesus to have a conversation. This is done through prayer and spending time in His Word. God will also speak to you in the way that you receive. I once wrote a song called, Jesus is My MVP. And I'd love to share with you sometime. Um, but it's, it's using a bunch of sports analogies because I was really into sports. Jesus is the greatest goalie because he saves. Amen? Amen? I mean, the whole, whole song is about that, how he's in basketball and football and hockey and track and the golf and all those things. And, but the point is that 
that he speaks to you in the way that you want to hear, in that way that you need to hear, whether it's a gentle whisper or whether it's a kick in the back end to get going. That's the God, God knows who you are because he created you. Even, and he's an amazing God, but he speaks to each one of us differently. But we need to choose to make it personal and to trust that God is going to give me, as Matthew 6.11 says, give me my daily bread. God, give me what I need from your word to help me this day. I trust that you know what I need. You see, when we study John 3.16, as often as the case, we make it about a doctrinal statement. But then we take it out of context. This is not about a doctrine or a, another sermon message. This is about each and every one of us, want, just like Nicodemus, wanting to hear from Jesus ourselves wanting to get our individual questions answered. Because even though most of you have heard the term being born again a thousand times, if I called you up to the pulpit right now on the mic to explain what it means to be born again, which of you would be willing to eagerly come up and clearly explain this concept in one minute or less? Any of you? I don't see a single hand raised out there. Mike, come on, or Bob, come on up here. Bob had no idea that this was being asked today, did you, Bob? Okay. But he raised his hand. He's going to share what it means to be born again. Well, what it means to be born again to me is, like Pastor Brad, I was uh, raised in the Catholic Church, and uh, just like everybody else, when you get older, you know, life happens, fall away. Well, I started having a lot of things happen in my life, you know, bad things, and it was just a series of things, like every four years, something bad would happen. And I was praying, you know, I the Catholics... I got a good base, like Pastor Brad said, for my my uh, my uh, journey here, and uh, things kept happening to me, and I was praying, praying for God to please come into my life. And uh, one night He did, and uh, I knew it wasn't a dream because I was dreaming before that, and I remembered my dream, and the Holy Spirit came into my life, and He spoke to me that night. And it changed my life forever. And I woke up, you know, right after he was talking, and I just knew in my heart, I just knew that was him. I can't explain it. You know, and uh, I've been on my journey ever since. I'm a born-again Christian. I always thought being born again was a cliche. You know, I never, till I actually read it in the Bible, you have to be born again. You know, and then... Uh, after that, uh, it was just before Christmas, and I was sitting there on a Sunday morning watching the Sunday talk show, and it was like at 10 o'clock, and it just came over me to get baptized. So I hurried up and went and showered and shaved and got dressed and came here because a friend had brought me here before, and I walked through the front door, and it was the previous pastor. And uh, 
I walked up to him and I said, how you doing? I said, my name's Bob Tack and I'd like to be baptized. (laughs) And he said, would you like to do that today? And it was almost like a deer in the headlight moment. (laughs) I, I couldn't say no. So I said, yes, you know, and I was baptized that day and it's changed my life forever. And, uh, I'm on my journey, and I thank Pastor Brad for being my pastor and helping me along. Thank you. Did you see how things changed when he came up and had a conversation with you? We're not reading the doctrine. I could I could tell about Bob's thing, but when he turned face to face and 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 shared that with you, that's the power of that conversation. He can tell you what it means to being born again. By what happened in him. That's what Nicodemus said. I want to know for myself. How can these things be? Logically speaking, in order to be born again into a new life, there first has to be a death from the former life or the former ways of doing things. Now I'm not talking about a physical death, but rather in a different way. You must first die to your desires before you can be born again. You must die to your pride, your insistence that you direct the course of your life. Bob will tell you he did not direct the course of his life after that. In fact, as he was trusting God and growing in God, God brought a wonderful woman into his life and God and Bob found love and is married now and God has blessed Bob in so many ways. Because he trusted God. He, he didn't direct the course of his life. He said, God, I'm going to let you. I'll leave it up to you. I'll give you the results. And God has done it in so many lives. If we die to our desires and our need to direct our own affairs, you must die to the need of always wanting to satisfy the urgings and the cravings of your flesh. Now, we're all going to be tempted. And we're all going to fail at times. But we can't let our flesh be in the driver's seat. In other words, you must deny yourself and resist the temptation to give in to whatever makes you feel good at the expense of doing what is right. In order to be born of the Spirit, you need to be willing to submit yourself to God in all things. Now, this does not mean that you will never make a mistake. It doesn't mean that you will never mess up. What it means is that when you do mess up, and we all do, When you do mess up, when you sin, you are obedient to His conviction. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of wrong motivations, of wrong thoughts, of wrong actions, you must be willing to admit and acknowledge that you are wrong. If you cannot freely admit that you are wrong, that you have sinned, that you have strayed from where God has clearly called you to walk and live, then you have not died to yourself. You have not died to your need to be right. You have not died to your willingness to say no to your flesh. And if there has been no death in your fleshly desires, then there can be no rebirth. In other words, you can come to church and you can attend events, But if you are not willing to be humbled by God and submit to His leading, then you are not born again. I know that offends some people. 
That's what God's Word says. It's not just joining the club. It's being born again. If I'm born again, there has to be a death to the former ways of doing things. Are we still going to sin? Yes, because we're human. We still have a human nature. But there has to be a part of us that wants to please God, that wants to be molded into His image, that steps up onto the potter's wheel and lets the potter mold us and to shape us to becoming more like Him. Now understand, even born-again Christians still sin. But the difference is in not wanting to sin. Resisting sin. Not wanting anything to get in the way to compromise my personal relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, if there is sin in my life and I come to worship, I can't fully be free in worship because I'm bound by guilt and condemnation of what I've done or what I've said. God's saying, Look, hey, I already know you've done it. Just give it up. Just admit it. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't share a bunch of people to get their commiseration with you. Just give it to me, God's saying. Because I want to take it from you. And I want to give you something better in its place. That is God's amazing grace. God wants to make you become more like Him. And we need all we can get from Him. That's why we get rid of those things when we come before Him. When you are born again and you sin, you are quick to allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to your heart without excuses, without justification. But by the Holy Spirit, you can say, I was wrong. Like David, I have sinned. Between you and me, God, my sin is there. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't because he was perfect. Remember, David had an affair with another woman. And then to cover it up, he had that woman's husband killed. How can that be a man after God's own heart? It's because when he was convicted by Nathan the prophet, David didn't hem and haw. He said, it is me, I have sinned. God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for willing people to be honest, to trust Him, to be born of the Spirit so that He can guide the courses of your life. You are quick to humble and admit when you have sinned against God and others. You are quick to go to God to ask for forgiveness and then ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to walk by His power and His love and His grace. When you are born again, your greatest desire is to obey the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit as it lines up with the Word of God, as it comes into agreement with the Word of God. So when you hear that voice, you better know the Word of God because there's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of people who hear voices and hear promptings. And if I just say a voice told me and I go do something that's contrary to the Word of God, I can't blame it on God. That's why we spend time in the Word and know the Word so God speaks to us to know when that voice lines up. And if you still don't know, then ask a brother and sister in the faith. If that lines up with God's Word, we need to make it personal and make the effort to grow in God. John 3.10 Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Understand that Jesus humbles all of us. No matter how long you have been going to church, no matter how much knowledge you have acquired, 
no matter how much life experience you have, and regardless of how intelligent you are or how intelligent you think you are. God has infinitely more knowledge than you. Amen? He has more wisdom. He has more discernment than you. John 3.11 Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you don't receive our witness. Verse 12, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you the heavenly things? It's in this conversation where Jesus attempts to lead him and us across this bridge of faith into divine understanding. We can't grasp it all on our own. It's a bridge that we have to cross if we take Jesus by the hand. He has to lead us, but we have to be willing to go. He's not going to drag us. We need to be willing to go. The only way that divine understanding can take place is if we walk by faith and not by sight. We're not going to understand everything that's happening. But by faith we can believe that He will make a way for us. And even when we don't understand, God has a way to speak peace to us to preserve our hearts so we're not full of anxiety. I don't understand it, God, but I'm going to trust you and I know if my hand is in yours, there's no better place to be. We each have to leave our insistence that we need to understand everything completely. And that everything needs to make human sense before we proceed. When God called Bob, he didn't know where God was going to take him. But because of that assurance that God gave him, God, Bob knew that he could trust God. You remember the story of Abraham. Think about this. God woke up Abram. His name was Abram at the time. He said, I want you to take all your belongings, your family, and just go. And when you get to the place I want you to go, I'll tell you to stop. How many of you would do that? Pack your belongings and just go. And when you get there, I'm not going to tell you where you're going to go, but when you get there, I'll tell you when to stop. When God speaks to you, He gives you the faith to believe Him and to trust Him, even when you don't understand. Faith is trusting God when everything does not make sense in our human minds, but we know that God calls us to trust Him. In fact, we see this very thing in Hebrews 11.6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, or believe that He exists. And that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Past your doubts. Past your confusions. Past your thoughts I need to know. If you continue to seek Him, God rewards you. Diligently seeking God means that you are willing and committed to walking across that faith bridge led by the Holy Spirit, even though you don't fully understand it yet. John 3.13 No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Here Jesus explains that the only way, the only way that you can understand about heaven is by talking to the one who was in heaven and came down to earth so that he could explain it to you personally if you ask him and seek him to know. 
In fact, I've shared this analogy before in understanding exactly what Jesus did. Imagine that you look down and you see a bunch of ants. And they're all racing and talking and they're all zooming towards and heading to the edge of a cliff. If nothing is done, they will soon go over to the edge and fall to their death. You scream and you stomp and you try to get their attention and you tell them to stop because there's a cliff ahead. But they don't understand you. And they rush forward all the more, getting closer to the edge of that cliff. You then realize that there's only one way that they can understand you. There's only one way to get them to understand You have to become one of those little ants to walk with them, to talk with them, to speak their language. You must become an ant yourself so you can warn them. This is what Jesus did. God spoke through His Word and through the prophets trying to warn people to get their attention. But we are all, the Bible says, a stiff-necked people. And we wouldn't heed God's warnings. So Jesus had to become one of us, walking amongst us. He spent three years trying to turn people from the cliff's edge. All that did was to make them march even faster and even put Him to death for His teachings and His efforts to rescue and save and deliver them from death and into new life with Him. They simply did not and could not understand this on their own. They needed the grace and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to them. And we still need Him to do the same for us today. We're not going to understand everything. But with God, He can reveal that to us. John 3.14 And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You see, continuing in this personal conversation, he knows that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He knows that he knows the Old Testament. So he ties it in with something that he knows. Jesus ties the past about Moses to future events prophesying how he would be lifted up on the cross, dying for the sins of mankind, that all who accept His sacrifice and personally receive it for their own lives will be healed and set free. Is there anyone in here today that has been healed and set free by Jesus Christ? Amen? John 3.15 Jesus continues, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the climax of the conversation this is the blessing the promise the guarantee of being born again john 3:16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life The problem that many people have here is that they treat this verse as a doctrinal statement or a verse to be memorized or a tenet of the faith. However, in context, this was an intimate conversation between Jesus and an individual who turned together with Jesus to receive directly from Jesus. Jesus. 
When you take the personal aspect of this truth out of the equation, you lose a lot. It's not as convicting. It's not as satisfying. It's not as personalized. And it's not as deep and penetrating. Can you tell that Bob has had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? What else would cause him to raise his hand as the only one in this room and get up here and come before you had no idea? It's because he cannot stop telling people about Jesus. Right, Bob? Amen. That's, 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 how, he, that's how I know he's been with Jesus because he can't stop talking about him. That's what we need to be with that personal conversation. We need to understand the personality of being of having a personal relationship with Jesus. When you turn to Jesus, understand, He turns to you. You might be ashamed of the things that you've done or the things you're struggling with, but God is not. He sees it and He says, I want to remove that from you and give you grace in its place. He turns to you so that He can personally help you and begin, and, and begin an eternity together with you. Eternity doesn't happen when we get to heaven. It's already began now with Jesus. It's just going to continue into eternity if you trust Jesus. He actively listens to you. He wants to hear your heart. And then He speaks directly to you. He speaks into your pain. He speaks into your shame. He speaks into your life. He actively and willingly engages in the greatest conversation you will ever have. Aside from this doctrinal verse, John 3.16, this is first and foremost a personal conversation with you and Jesus. And the only way you will see it and receive it as personal is if you have willingly died to yourself, willingly acknowledged, like me, that you have sinned against God and others, willingly experienced a sorrow for your pain and the actions you have caused, and acknowledged that Jesus is the absolute only way and the only one who can save you now. Even if you've been going to church for many, many, many years and you realize, you know what? I don't feel that personal. God, is it still possible for me in my older years to say, God, I want to get closer to you? Absolutely it is. You've got to be willing. Only God knows your heart. And if you have truly made it personal, if you truly have turned it into a conversation between Jesus and you, or if you've just been trying to study about God, he wants to be personal. And if this is the case, then understand that the Holy Spirit does not bring you to a place of conviction and just simply leave you in your guilt and your shame. Rather, He takes you to the end of yourself as you acknowledge your guilt so that He can freely forgive you and set you free. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. John 3.17 which is often not read because people stop at John 3.16. But it's powerful. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Listen, no matter what you have done, 
God can forgive you if you're willing to trust Him. No matter how much you've walked in guilt or shame, if you've been a Christian your whole life and you've had this stronghold, this struggle, and yet you've kept from everyone else and you continually to beat yourself down, God says today is the day for healing. Will you trust Him to set you free? You see, the goal of conviction is not to condemn you. It is to bring you to a place where you willingly lay down your guilt so that you can pick up His forgiveness in exchange and put on His righteousness so you can come before God without shame. This is what it means to be saved. Jesus saves those who lovingly turn to Him with their guilt, their conviction, their sorrow, their honesty, and their desire to personally know Him more. Heavenly Father, I thank You by the power of Your Word that You have given each of us, even today, a personal experience with You. Convict us. Draw us close. Help us to be willing to want to desire to know You more. We thank You for Your perfect love. In Jesus' name.